Thank you, worship team. What a great morning. Let me add my welcome to you this morning, if you're new with us or returned. Good to have you with us. Bless you. Have you got your Bibles with you? If you do, or device, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. Well, we've been having a little bit of a mosey through 1 John, and we'll be going into 2 John and 3 John and 5 John and 6 John. Dave's going to pick up there and run with those. Keep your finger in 1 John chapter 4. You know, in July of 1967, I was still running around in shorts. July of 1967, John Lennon wrote a song which took the world by storm. It was called, All You Need Is You Remember It. You look far too young, Meredith. All you need is love. It might, it seems, it seemed to gain traction amid the, the free love hippie culture of the day. Now, the lyrics themselves were very simple. There was really only a couple of lines that made any sense in it. With the song picking up on the, the seemingly treadmill nature of secular life. And it offered this theme of all you need is love. That was, the, that was what the, the writer here was, was, was offering as uh, the answer, the antidote to the banality, the mundane nature of everyday life. We've all felt that, haven't we? Just another day. Whilst I don't totally disagree with John's proposition about love, the glaring and obvious problem we have is in the definition of love. When we think of the, the topic of love, our minds will all often go to that wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians 13. We know it well as the, the love is passage. I think there used to be a little comic that was put out too, love is, and it have some where the husband was obviously doing something nice for the wife. Love is. Yet this little epistle of John's contains so much more content on the subject of love. It, it speaks not only of, of love's substance, but also of its origin and of its power and of its purpose. So it's not surprising then that John bases the superiority of genuine, godly, agape love as a test or a yardstick for the genuineness of our faith and our walk with God. In our passage today, which takes us to the end of 1 John, John gives us, what do we call them, tests, if you like, affirmations, to give us assurance of our salvation and our, un our union with God, to be able to live a confident life in the midst of a very uncertain and volatile world. Let me pray and we'll begin. Father, thank you, Lord, again for this opportunity we have to 
to come into your word, uh, to join together as your people to worship you, but to, to hear from you through your word. Open the ears of our understanding, we pray, that we might hear and give us courage to apply it to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, I think that there are very few Christians who would perhaps struggle with the idea that God can or does save wretched, sinful humanity. He does. Neither do I think many Christians would doubt God's promises through his word that he pours out his love, his grace and his mercy upon those who call upon his name. Who place their trust in Jesus' finished work on Calvary. So the issue for many is not, can God save me? Not, can God save, sorry. But rather, can I be saved? Or am I really saved? Can I be confident that my sins have been forgiven? I know God loves, but does God love me? John's shown and proven many times over that this Christ-like, this self-sacrificial, other-focused love has not only transformed his own life, but on the basis of him living so boldly and confidently for the kingdom of God. He could do that because of this transformed life. He's got a transformed life because of his love for God and God's love for him. John rightly recognizes that the root of many Christians that are struggling to live out their faith is that of a lack of assurance. Assurance that God has forgiven them. And it's that which John wants to address. In order that they can, like him, live a confident, a victorious life. Not only as a forgiven and redeemed child of God. But as an effective ambassador for Christ. Now you can jump to John 4. Chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. And so our text begins, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone that does not know, anyone that does not love God does not know God because God is love. And the first thing we see here in, in, in John's little affirmation to them is that he practices what he preaches. He's at pains to let these Christians know that his heart is full of pastoral love and care for them. Six times in this little letter, he uses that lovely little tender term of affection, beloved. Beloved. But also that term actually carries with it a sense of identity. He's saying to them that he can identify them as recipients of God's divine love. He can identify that. They are 
beloved by God. And then John identifies God as the actual source or origin of this divine agape love. He says love is from God. And his logical reasoning follows that as recipients of God's sacrificial, other-centered love, this should be the marker by which we treat other brothers and sisters in Christ. So we can say God is the origin and source of true love, gifted to the believer when they are born again. And it's only our union with God, this being born again, that allows us access to not only be recipients of this love, but also to be conduits of it, channels of blessing through which God's love can flow. Chuck Swindoll says, if a hose is connected to a water supply, then water's going to flow out of it. If a wire is connected to electricity or battery, electricity will flow out of it. And if a branch is connected, excuse me, to the roots of a tree via the trunk, then sap will flow through it. And he says, if any man or woman is connected to the loving Father through the Son by the indwelling Holy Spirit, then the love of God will flow through his or her life towards others. Again, in in verse 7, John confirms, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Or as Steve shared a few weeks back there uh, in in, uh, chapter 1 verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. But not only uh, is God the origin of love, John tells us in verse 8 that God actually is love. God is love. Love And not just that he's lovely or that he loves. But love is a, a fundamental and inseparable, indwelling attribute of God. You can't have God and separate love out of that. Neither can you have true love without God. God is love. And it's his very nature. Love is who he is. And so in verses 9 and 10, he focuses our attention on that ultimate expression of God's wonderful love for us. And that is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we heard in the... uh, Sorry, uh, we have in the reading uh, of 1 John 4, 9 to 10. In this... The love of God was made manifest or made visible amongst us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's the only way you're going to live. 
You want to be born again? This is how you get born again. So that we might live through him. This was and is the greatest example, the greatest demonstration and proof of agape love the world has ever, ever known. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the the payment, the atoning for our sins. He took the punishment for our sins on the cross of Calvary. Why? Because of love. So then we can be confident of our relationship with God if we too are exhibiting and living out that other focused love for one another. Now, of course, no one's expecting today that we would go and die uh, for a fellow believer here in Brisbane, 2023. No, no, No one's expecting that. But there are brothers and sisters in Iran and Pakistan and Palestine who are doing just that today. There's many accounts of of people who have died trying to shield or protect others in the most horrific and inhuman violence and murder. I wonder, though, how we might show God's love to our brothers and sisters in Christ, let alone our neighbours and workmates who don't know or love God. Well, one thing's for sure. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you to show this love. It'll cost you time. Going to mow someone's lawn. Change a tyre for the lady next door. It might cost you petrol, running them to an, an urgent appointment. It's going to cost you. Perhaps, though, the greatest way that we can show God's love to the world is not to shrink back from those God-given opportunities that we have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Isn't that truly saving someone's life? But when we understand that the love we have for others is not ours, but God's love flowing through us, we recognize it's not really coming from our account anyway. <laughs> you know what, Andy? It's a bit like giving Alicia your credit card and saying, go shopping. Max it out. It's not your card anyway. Give. Give freely as it was freely given. John wraps up this thought with, uh, cha- uh, with verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. He's saying in short, if you want to see God, if you want proof he exists, we see him in your love. 
Want to be a good evangelist? Go love your neighbor. Show them the love of Christ. But then it seems without drawing breath, John picks up on his second mark or proof of our union with Christ. Verse 13, by this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given of us his spirit. And so our second mark of salvation, which gives us assurance to walk confidently, is the permanent indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. Well, you say, well, I can't see that. How do I know? How do I know I've got the Holy Spirit? Have you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour today? 1 John 4.15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. The Word of God tells us. And the Apostle Paul writes exactly the same thing to the church at Corinth. In Corinthians 12 verse 3, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in or by the Spirit of God. Chuck puts it like this. He says, the permanent presence of the Holy Spirit who unites us to the life of God continues to enable us to confess Jesus as the Son of God. This same spirit who unites us to the life of God also continue, uh, unites us to the love of God. If we have life in God, we have God's love. Again, inseparable. Let's look together now at chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Let's read together. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Gee, it just ain't rocket science, is it? And so to our Third mark, our, our proof to assure us of the genuineness of our conversion, the one, of course, that we've all been looking forward to, obedience to God. Help me enjoy that. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. But there's an encouragement also here 
Yes, we are to obey God's commandments. And in the natural, or rather for the natural man, you would throw your hands up in the air and say, well, hey, that's impossible. (laughs) A bunch of Jews tried that a long time ago. It didn't work for them either. Yet when we are in Christ... When we are in Christ, we are attributed with his victories. We are attributed with his standing before God. Thus, John could say in verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. Well, how? How? By what enabling? For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our faith. Faith unites us and that union gives us overcoming ability. Does it make sense? Our faith brings us into Christ and being in Christ enables us to overcome. It's helpful also to understand the context of that term commandments. Just which ones is John referring to here? (laughs) There's a bunch of them, right? Well, this is not a call for us to return to the old covenant Jewish uh, rules and regulations, which have already been proven not to be able to be kept. And although they were trying to trap him, the Sadducees and the experts in the law came to Jesus one day and they they said to him, they, they asked a similar question. They said, teacher, Matthew 22, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? I mean, we can't keep them all, obviously, but maybe there's an important one there. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. He said, this is the first and greatest commandment. He said, a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is the bit I really want you to see, verse 40. Verse 40 says this, it says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. In other words, In loving God and in loving our neighbours, we are keeping the whole law. That's cool. And it's so easy to do, isn't it? Hmm. I agree with you, Ben. In loving God and in loving our neighbours, we are keeping the whole law and because of our new birth which is enabled by the empowering of the Holy Spirit John could say and his commandments aren't burdensome burdensome well I don't know about you but when I was reading through this in fact all of first John Steve's the same, you know, we, we saw that it was this, this spiral staircase, didn't we? Building upon the arguments, one upon the other, layering more information. I've got to admit, for me, it just seemed like this circular argument that just kept going round and round, and you'll see coming up on a slide 
it is indeed quite a circular argument. I put together this little schematic to show you just what is going on. And so you can see that Christians are children of God. They love and they are loved and they love by all who love God. The third one, those who love God keep his commandments. They keep his commandments because they have overcome the world and they've overcome the world because they are children of God. And so we go around again. You know what? Don't worry about the loop. Just get in the loop. Okay? Just get in the loop. Make sure today that you are a child of God. What does that mean? Well, it means humbling yourself. It means seeing within yourself the inability to do what is right before God. To look at the cross of Calvary and see that it's all been done. Friends, we saw today that a born-again Christian sealed and filled by his Holy Spirit, we can only display or exhibit to our brothers and sisters or even the world what is most abundant in us. The word says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And again, you will know the tree by the fruit. There's times, however, when uh, I've been watering my plants. If you've been to my place, you'll see I've got a big uh, tunnel thingy bob with lots of plants. I, I do bonsai and various other things. And the other day I was racing down the back of my, my grow tunnel and boing, got pulled back. The water stopped, drip, drip. And I looked back and I could see that it had tangled up around a, a, a table I'd had there and gone into a bit of a knot. <laughs> well, that put paid to that until I got that cleared up. <laughs> You'd think I'd learn, wouldn't you? Yeah, no. So, and then <laughs> just the other day, I was, I was cutting some rust, cutting some rust out of my boat trailer. Uh, that's why I haven't had the boat out, Earl. Uh, Cutting, cutting rust out of my boat trailer. And uh, I was very enthusiastic. I'm not good at it, but I'm enthusiastic. So I'm slashing away, and well, you can imagine what happened when I hit the power cord. Yep. Isn't Bunnings wonderful? Just, just good to nip down to Bunnings open all the time. Yep. We do well to always be aware of our connectedness. Remember what Swindoll said? You connect a hose to the tap, water's going to flow. But that conduit, that pipe, that hose has to not be kinked. Check on your connectedness, both with God and with each other. There's times when we can notice our lives becoming dry, 
They become hard and difficult. It's like walking in mud. And we get tired. We get joyless. We seem to slip into despondency and ultimately into depression. We've lost our vigor and our confidence in our walk with God. We don't seem to be getting the victory over those besetting sins. Those ones which have long been a thorn in our flesh. So eventually what happens, of course, is we withdraw, don't we? We pull back. We pull back from God and we pull back from each other. We begin to wonder if God is still there and feel even if he is, he's not really much bothered about me anyway. Perhaps, friends, you've been a little bit like that. And I want you to look back and I want you to find that kink in the hose And I want to encourage you today to look for that thing that happened, that thing that caused you to withdraw, to stop trusting in Christ. Was it an argument with a loved one? Was it some disappointment that didn't happen? Or disappointment from something that didn't happen? Disappointments are shocking things. Was it a hurt of losing a loved one? I want you to look back and to find that kink and I want to encourage you today, not tomorrow, today. I want you to reach out for help and cry out by the Spirit of God within you, Abba, Father, help me. Help me. Abba, Father, who's watching and waiting for you to realize again your need for him. Remember, he's only ever one prayer away from complete restoration. For you are, if you are in Christ today, a child of the loving God. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you have indeed made a way for us today. Thank you that you have seen our distress. Thank you that you have seen our condition. And Lord, you know our great inability to be able to do anything for ourselves at all. Your word says without you, we can do absolutely nothing. Yet your word also says that in Christ, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. In Christ. I pray today for those who are not yet followers of Christ. I pray, Lord, that that something in this message today, something in the words of the songs we've sung, Lord God, that you have been just tapping them on the shoulder, drawing them near just whispering in their heart, I do love you. And for those of us who do know Christ but have grown cool, we've wandered away, we've become discouraged, Father God, I pray, encourage our hearts today.
Help us to repent from not trusting you. Help us, Lord, to swallow our pride and to to come and say, "I'm, I'm sorry, Father. Fill me with your love again. Fill me with your spirit. Enable and empower me to be the best that I can be for you today. Father, I pray, reach out to us because of your amazing love that we can walk confidently. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would